So this morning we explored the movement around the inner triangle and this afternoon we're going to explore the movement of what I call the points along the rim of the Enneagram. Uh, I call them that simply because I was an old Babylon 5 fan and they used to speak about the rim of the universe and so I thought it was a good name for these points which didn't seem to have any. So these are the points that are not on the inner triangle. So I'm going to talk about the natural progression from one point to the next and how they're basically the lines of least resistance that one follows and if one's anyotype is one of those points there's a natural movement to the point following ours, following the, the arrows around. So beginning at point one, but, but also above and beyond that, what I hope to convey to you is a bit of the inner logic of how one point moves to the next and hopefully you can relate to that within your own experience. So beginning at point one, the belief here, the fundamental fixation the belief about reality is that things are not perfect, that there's a wrongness, an imperfection somewhere. And typically, if a one really scratches the surface, they'll find that where the deepest belief in imperfection lies is within oneself. So there's a basic conviction that I'm fundamentally bad or not right or imperfect or any variation on that theme. This is a mirror and a reflection and a way of understanding the loss of contact with true nature. So the sense is for one, something is wrong here. Something is not right. What's not right is the disconnection from the full dimensionality of one's reality. The misinterpretation is that reality itself is imperfect and needs to be fixed. And that's, of course, what ones go about trying to do. They try to fix others in the hope that if others are fixed, if they're made perfect, then I will be okay, and I will feel okay. And that hopefully it'll rub off on me and I'll be perfect too. Clearly, this is a strategy that is um, impossible. First of all, it's not possible to fix everything. And second of all, the whole premise that things are imperfect 
from a spiritual per perspective is a loss of recognition of the fundamental perfection of everyone and everything that exists. This doesn't mean that everything on the surface is right or is just or is good or positive. But all of the things, all of the disharmonies that we find on the surface of life are really the result of not seeing the fundamental perfection of the ground of being, of everyone and everything. And so we participate in disharmonious badnesses, um, I'm not languaging it terribly well, but, you know, all the bad stuff that we see in life that feels wrong to us uh, is basically the result of a disconnection from the ground of being in which we know that we're all one and that to harm another part of that oneness is basically to harm oneself. The movement from one to four is a movement when a one becomes hopeless, despairing, resigned about fixing everything and making it right. And so the movement is into despair, melancholy, which characterizes point four. This doesn't mean, and, and sometimes it's hard to see how this is a defensive move, this doesn't mean we're giving up on the quest to make everything right. It just means we feel hopeless about doing that. We haven't given it up. Do you see the difference? So it's just another stage, an inevitable stage, if one is dedicated to that quest in perfecting everyone and everything. It's, in other words, the next logical step is that we're going to feel hopeless about that. We're also going to feel hopeless about ourselves. And we're going to make assumptions, like the assumptions that a four makes about him or herself, that I'm fundamentally more than bad, evil. That there's something poisonous at the core here. So the one's conviction of being fundamentally flawed becomes amplified in the movement to four. I am really, really bad at point four. Um, let's see, what else can I say about that? The, the, uh, another characteristic at point four is the longing for the good, longing for what one considers to be ideal. The whole eneotype, eneotype four, ego melancholy, is dedicated to longing. It's not about getting, and that's an important thing. It's about longing. The basic premise here for fours, and now I'm shifting to the basic orientation of fours, 
is that in the wake of the loss of contact with true nature, the belief is being has abandoned me. And that's a way of interpreting early experienced abandonments by the mothering person of early childhood. So there's a conviction then that sets in that I am someone who others will abandon. I am someone who others will leave. If a four looks deeply at their process, what they will find is that the deepest leaving is from oneself. So the core of the suffering of fours is a self-abandonment in favor of something that looks better outside. So the passion here at four is envy. And so there's a longing to be as wonderful as that other one out there or to have the qualities and characteristics of that one over there. And implicit in that is a self-abandoning, a non-recognition of one's own completeness. So this is a very, uh, more than many of the other enneotypes, the strategy at point four is very blatantly self-defeating. There's longing. If the longing ever threatens to be met, like if somebody is actually there for you, not abandoning you, really there for you, if a four were to take it in, that would disintegrate the whole linchpin of their ego structure. So it's very difficult to tolerate, and fours typically find ways of deflecting that one being there for them. So the next movement is to point two. If the basic inner decision is got to abandon myself, there's something rotten at the core here, the next logical step is to connect with, merge with, someone else who looks like they're really where it's at. And that's the strategy at point two. These are the dependents of the Enneagram. And the two strategy is to make themselves indispensable to some special other. And in that way, to feel special oneself. So for fours, as they're moving to two in the defensive movement, the way that it manifests is in playing to others, flattering others, being helpful, which if you know anything about twos, that's their MO. They're helpful. So fours get helpful. They appear to 
let go of their suffering and all of the me, me, me stuff that characterizes fours. And it's all about you. And it's about what I can do for you. So the two strategy is giving to others, not recognizing one's own needs. But there's a manipulation that's central in twos of giving to get. If the whole strategy for the Enneotype could be summed up, it's that. It's giving with strings attached. The maxim of Jesus, of do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is the operating principle for twos. So you don't tell the other what you want or what you need, but you do for them what it is that you'd like back. Huh? And hope they get it, right. And as we'll see, God help them if they don't. So, let's see, what else do I want to say about twos? Uh, neediness is projected outward, it's projected onto others. They need, I don't. The hardest thing for two to recognize and to allow is one's own neediness. Also, one's desire for help, assistance. And instead, twos become that for others. So when it gets really old to be giving to get, and no one ever gives back in the way that a two would wish, the movement then is to point eight, which is basically summed up in fuck you. I've been kind, I've been sensitive, I've been empathic, I've been giving, I've been everything that a lovable human being could possibly be, or at least I appear that way. And the world hasn't reciprocated, or some significant special other hasn't reciprocated to the extent that I would wish. So the next movement and the defensive movement for twos is to hell with you. Who needs you? I was wrong in the first place to invest so much energy into you, and I'm going to get revenge on you. I'll show you. I'm going to hurt you back in the same way that I feel hurt for the non-recognition, the lack of love, the lack of reciprocity, and all of that. And so twos typically, when the signals aren't picked up and reciprocated upon to give back in kind, right? twos move to eight. And they can be quite vindictive in that movement. The One of the tendencies, because twos are not 
great at being really aggressive and angry and expressing it to people who they care about and want to have them care about them is that fantasies go on in one's mind. I'll show you. you know, or I'll just simply ice you out. Right? And that becomes the revenge. So at point eight, the, for eights, the fundamental issue and the take on reality has to do with needing to be strong, needing to be tough, needing to be in control. There's the sense that in the wake of loss of contact with true nature, that I've been messed with somehow. Something bad happened to me. And I'm never going to let it happen again. So the eight strategy is to be invincible, invulnerable, tough, strong, not needing anything like those wimpy twos. And the whole eight game, the eight strategy, is staying on top, being in control, being a dominating figure, or at least not letting anyone else dominate you. Um, Eights tend to be the bad boys and bad girls of the Enneagram, appearing not to care about how others feel about them. And in that, you can see a reaction to two. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the heart point. So at eight, it gets pretty old, being tough, being strong, being invincible, trying to be constantly at the top of the heap. And so the next movement to five, the defensive movement for eights, is to simply withdraw, to hide, to pull back. So another way of looking at that movement is if it doesn't bring me fulfillment and satisfaction to get revenge on reality and on others by making myself invincible, refusing to be hurt, and so on. If that doesn't work as a strategy to bring the soul peace and satisfaction, which it can't, the natural movement then is to pull away from the whole playing field. And that's the movement to five for eights. It's a withdrawal. And it's something that I notice in groups that I teach, which are all about opening up and being vulnerable, which is what inner work is all about. Eights tend to be really quiet in those groups. Right? Not, not calling too much attention to themselves. 
And in that, we can see the defensive movement to five. And for some eights, it becomes difficult to discriminate whether they're a five or an eight because of that, because there's so much withdrawal. So at five, the fixation, the fixed inner conviction about reality is that I'm on my own, I'm alone, I'm isolated, and the resources that I have are all that I'm going to get, and so I have to conserve them, whether that's one's physical energy, one's caring, one's emotional resources. So there's a limiting and a holding on to what one has, a limiting of input, a limiting of outflow, and a tendency to conserve. So you'll find fives being very conserving of their energy, as though they don't have enough life force and vitality, and if too much leaks out, that it won't be replenished. So let me see if I can explain this in a slightly different way, because I'm feeling a little puzzlement about that. Um, it's like, based on the, the conviction that we're separate entities, the belief here for fives is that there isn't going to be any more replenishing of what I have. So there's this, a deep sense of isolation, cut-offness, and um, the conviction that, let's see, a different way of saying that, that, um, that the bounty of life, the goodness of life, will not come to me. So, Enneotype Fives are, the nickname is Ego Stinge. Stinge. Or Ego Stinginess. There's a holding on. Fives specialize in attachment, even though they appear to be very detached. They're attached to their non-attachment. <laughs> they don't want to have too much. They don't want to have too many responsibilities. They want to minimize interference, minimize input from others. There's a great fear in fives of being overwhelmed by too much contact with others. And it's as though they would lose something of themselves through that contact. The, so the strategy here is a pretty obvious one. It's to hold on to what you've got. And if you don't have it, don't want it. 
The natural movement, the defensive movement for fives is to seven. So one way of deflecting too much input, too much personal attention, which is tough for fives, is to move to seven and to get very chatty, to, get in, to be interesting, to tell other people all about how much you know, you know, all of the great insights that you have, and so on. Another way of looking at this movement is that one of the characteristics of fives is that their survival strategy is what I call scouting. They attempt to look at and figure out the experiential territory that they might be moving into and determine whether it's safe or not to actually feel it. So it's, if something's coming up in their inner process, like a strong emotion, let's say, they'll first move into their heads and try to figure out what's going on <coughs> in order to decide, is it okay or not to really inhabit it? And characteristically for fives, it's never safe enough. So the difficulty here and the real stinginess with oneself for fives is about fully inhabiting one's experience, fully inhabiting one's body, really having your feelings completely, letting your process move and be inside of it, sensing it, one with it. So there's a withdrawal both from others and the world, but also from oneself. And that's really the suffering for fives. The withdrawal from self. The movement to seven, then, sevens are specialists in mapping and planning. Their basic conundrum is that in the loss of contact with being, there's a sense that their own inner process doesn't have a natural movement, a natural enfoldment. And so they have to map it, plan it, figure out where their process might go, should go, ought to go, and then trying to approximate it. Sevens are masters at synthesizing, pulling different threads from various traditions or from, um, well, like for example, Joseph Campbell is an example of a very sevenish kind of life endeavor, really trying to understand through all of the periods of human history and throughout the world the symbology, and to bring it all together, to find the con to connect all the dots, so that the so that all of that makes sense. Another very sevenish enterprise is the work of Ken Wilber, where there's a vast mapping system of states of consciousness, and um, a whole system that he's worked out to understand them. 
all of which may be true. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things. They're great endeavors, great human endeavors. And what they're examples of is what sevens really excel in, which is figuring out the big picture. So we could say that fives specialize in protecting the little picture here, and seven specialize in the big picture. So to defend themselves as a defensive move, fives will move to seven and really withdraw from themselves into grand plans, schemes, ways of understanding the nature of reality, and so on. It's a way, really, for fives of avoiding deeper contact with themselves. And again, that's not to say that what they produce, what they come up with, isn't wonderful. But we need to look at what might be the psychological motivation there, the psychological drive. So at seven, for sevens, the sense as I said, that with the loss of contact with true nature, there's a sense of being cut out of the momentum of natural unfoldment. And what I mean by that is the, the kind of unfoldment of an acorn eventually turning into an oak tree, or um, a... Um, uh, I'm not sure if this is actually right, but, you know, some kind of cocoon or larva turning into a butterfly. That kind of natural unfoldment is something that sevens don't trust in within themselves. There's a sense of having lost something very fundamental and natural about how they develop and open up. And so their strategy is to try to figure it out. There's also about sevens a great hunger for experience, but because this is one of the fear types, their experience is that the hunger, they attempt to satisfy that hunger by having lots of little bites of yummy things without really digesting them. So this is where a seven's reputation as a dilettante comes in. Gathering and collecting little yummy tidbits of knowledge and information and factoids rather than delving deeply into any of them. So the the uh, natural tendency for sevens to the extent that they're identified with their personality is to manifest a kind of gluttony that's for little tastes of things. The sevens have a reputation for being hedonistic and some sevens are, but not all sevens. Many sevens are very, very hardworking, very dedicated. The difficulty for sevens is that it's really important for them to be upbeat and okay. So when the going gets tough, 
when pain threatens to arise, when the dark side of their nature starts to manifest itself, that's when they have the tendency to move on to something else that's going to be uplifting. An example of sevenish mentality was the hippie movement with notions, guiding principles like love is all there is, love is the answer, being generous, uh, we are all one, and so on. Coming from a mental place rather than being fully integrated within most anyone who was involved in that movement led to a very dark side showing up in the end. So there was an overriding of the self in that movement. And in the end, the self had to find ways of expressing its selfishness. And I think that was really the, the death knell for that movement back in the 60s and early 70s. So from point seven, the movement is to one. Once you get a sense of the grand plan of things, then the next step is to assume that this is the way it ought to be. Reality ought to conform to how I see that it's all laid out. So, in other words, if we can, um, an example of that, if we can postulate ultimate levels of consciousness and all of the variations and degrees thereof, the difficulty for sevens is if they can imagine them, why can't they be there? And sevens have a lot of trouble understanding that. They don't understand that the map is not the territory. And so sevens suffer from really vicious superegos who are saying to them, look, you can see where you could be. How come you're not there already? There isn't a, a recognition of process. That's what's been lost for sevens and the value of that process and patience with process. So what one can imagine, what one can envision as how reality works, how things fit together, and all of that, then becomes the way things ought to be. And that's the movement to one. So sometimes you'll find sevens who have a hard time discriminating whether they're a one or a seven because they're so critical and judgmental of other people. And picky. They can be really picky. Very one-ish. And that's the default movement for sevens, is into perfectionism about what they can envision. So we're back to one. And that's the natural line of least resistance around these points, through these points along the rim.
So just to kind of go back over that and encapsulate that a little bit. For ones, the movement to four is a movement into despair, hopelessness, self-hatred, which doesn't help them resolve their fundamental sense of being bad or flawed. It actually makes it worse. But it's really an... Anyway, I think you get the point. Do you get the point of that movement? Do you understand the, the logic of that? Okay. And then for fours, the movement to two is a movement into playing to other people, flattering others, uh, being generous, being kind, being all-giving, having all kinds of help that they can offer to other people. And that becomes a way of defending against their inner pain, their sense of self-abandonment, and so on. It's a way, really, of trying to get connection in the wake of abandoning themselves. The reason why it's defensive is because the connection that they need to establish is with themselves. It's the self-abandonment that needs to be resolved not having another better relationship with somebody else, not being indispensable to somebody else. Right? The, the, the relationship that needs to be healed and that they need to establish is the inner one. So for twos, the movement to eight is a result of overextending. It's a result of not recognizing one's boundaries, one's limits, one's edges, giving too much, doing too much, all in the hopes that if I do that, I'm going to be loved, and that will satisfy me. That'll give me what I want. But it never works for a couple of reasons. One of the big reasons is that when a two does feel loved and appreciated, they say, oh, it's for what I did for you, not for me. (laughs) Even though what the two's been doing is all of these things to get the other person's love. Right? So it doesn't work. The other reason that the strategy doesn't work is that the communion that a two longs for is ultimately something that has to start with oneself. Similar to four. Twos are self-rejecting. Fours are self-abandoning. And there's a connection there. Those are not the same thing, self-abandonment. Self-abandonment is just vacating the premises. I'd rather be over there, like that other one. I'd rather be in a different place. I'd rather appear different than I am. Self-rejection is staying with oneself, but rejecting what's here. Very painful, very frustrating. 
So the movement to eight for twos is really compensatory. Look how much I've done, look how much I've given, look how much I've been there. Fuck that. Had it. To hell with other people. To hell with anybody's needs. Anybody asked me for anything? No. I'm going to say no, which is actually the hardest thing in the world for a two to say. And then the movement for eights to five is a movement of withdrawal. I'm not getting what I want by being king or queen of the universe, in charge, indomitable. So I'm just going to withdraw, pull back. And that'll be the ultimate with revenge, to leave. And then for fives, the withdrawing type, withheld, constricted, isolated. The defensive move to seven is one of getting chirpy, cheerful, um, expressing all of the interesting tidbits of knowledge that one has gathered in one's isolation, in one's cave, telling stories, becoming entertaining, and all of that. And then for sevens, the natural movement out of all of their figuring out how life works is how life ought to work, and that's the movement back to one. This is the way that I see things, and it's right. And everyone else should conform to how I understand the way that things work. Right? Okay, so any questions about what I'm saying? Yes. Yes, please wait for the microphone. I don't have a lot of experience with the Enneagram except reading your book and one other book by Karen Someone. But um, from what I have read, I might now be having a four attack. <laughs> As you go through all of these, the last ones that you described, each Enneagram type is trying to achieve or attain a something. One is trying to achieve perfection. Two is trying to achieve communion. Five wants to conserve energy and resources. Mm -hmm. um, seven wants to map it out. Eight wants to be strong. Four is a big hole. <laughs> There's nothing they're trying to do. They're just trying to avoid being abandoned, abandoned and not fall into the self. Actually, no. What are they, what is their thing that they're is, what is the positive direction, even though it's maladaptive? They're attempting to be unique, Thank original, you. and authentic. Thank you. 
<laughs> At least the current attack now is over. Okay. Thank you. Good. But what I'm what I'm glad about is that you're out you're you're grasping some of the central drives of each of the type and you're grasping them really well. Yes. Over here. You, pref you preface um, your discussion of the seven in the interest in the yummy tidbits of life. And then you said something about but being a fear type. Mm -hmm. But I never heard you say, like, what is it about the fear type that would make the seven sort of like mm -hmm. do this kind of thing? Okay. Um, each of the points on either side of six, so five, six, and seven, are what are considered the fear types of the Enneagram. And the deepest fear is to fully enter into oneself. So the, the basic orientation for all three of those types is to be afraid of fully inhabiting one's experience. Whatever it is, whether it's one's physical experience, their experience in the world, their experience in relationship, and so on. So seven being one of the fear types is um, a master at using the mind to avoid entering into life too deeply. And so for them, their images of the world, their concepts about the world, or, or life, or anything, the whole focus on conceptualizing imaging, um, the, the realm of, of, the, of, of the creation of the mind takes on a reality to them that it doesn't actually have. And so for them it's their way of coping with their fear of being too embodied. That makes sense for you? Yes, very much. Okay. And it's tricky when you hear some of these descriptions and if you're unsure of what your enneotype is, don't latch on to any one little thing that I'm saying about any of the types and assume that's what you are. Right? Because many of us can be withdrawing, very schizoid in our behavior, and could be the most outgoing, apparently, too, even though we feel very withdrawn. Right, so it's, it, each of the types is a whole gestalt, it's a totality. And to really get what your type is involves opening to that whole totality. So if one little bit fits here and another little bit doesn't fit there of anything I've said about one of the types, it's probably not your type. So don't latch on to any one thing. Okay, and again, I'm happy to talk with anyone to help clarify your type. I, I don't mean necessarily that that's where you were coming from, but that's just where what you asked me led to. So I think probably tomorrow afternoon during lunch, I'll spend some time making myself available if anyone wants to talk with me about that. But first, I want you to do some exploring on your own.
to see what you find out for yourself. Okay. Yes. I ha I had a question oh, okay. about yeah, you know how fluid is the movement from seven to five or seven to one? How how long do do people stay in there, or is that the point? I mean, is the longer you stay in your stress point, defensive point, please. Defense, sorry, defense point. <laughs> um, is that an indication of health or lack of health? I mean, do you understand my question? Like, how fluid is that movement? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, That's a really good question. I think that what we could say is that the more time a person spends in their defensive point, the more they're defensive. The more they're defending against sitting in something more fundamental about themselves. So I wouldn't say that it's... it's the abiding in your defensive point means that you're less psychologically healthy. I wouldn't naturally make that conclusion. But what I would say is that you're, you're really protecting yourself from sitting inside of something more fundamental. <coughs> okay, right here. I didn't completely understand the shift from five to seven, the way you explained it, um, as fives need to get chatty to, I mean, it, it, I just didn't understand the link in the transition. Yeah. Well, part of the transition, another way of understanding that transition is that fives basically withdraw and isolate, and that's an attempt to find satisfaction, to find happiness. If I have enough space for myself, if I'm alone enough, that's going to be what does it. And so one way of understanding the movement to sevens is when a five gets that this isn't really doing it, then the sense is, oh, let me engage more with other people. Let me engage more with the world. And the way they do that is in a sevenish kind of way. Yeah. That's one way of understanding it. The other way is that um, as a way of deflecting too much, um, too much contact from other people, one could start talking about what you know and what you think and telling stories and all of that to divert the attention. Hopefully some of you fives will help answer that question as well. Yes. My mother is a five, and um, it's been really interesting to understand more. Because she, she, I mean, she's like right out of the book. Just, you know, isolate, isolate. It's just exhausting for her to process or to talk or to ask questions. I mean, she really controls all that. And then out of the blue, she'll just get chatty and talk, and you cannot get a word in it. She, I mean, I literally, this is a little passive-aggressive, but there was a couple years ago where I would actually lay the phone down, partly because I was irritated and annoyed and partly because I was curious, and she could literally talk an hour and not even oh know that I wasn't God. on the other end, and I would <laughs> pick it up, and she was still talking. Mm -hmm. oh. And I have to admit that sometimes, you know, I'll do it for a moment just to kind of breathe, but it's, it's really 
I'm in awe of it, mm-hmm. but I, I am understanding it more. It's, it's, yeah. It is fascinating. I, I'm just like blown away by the system, but it's so classic. Yeah, yeah. And what's really needed is to talk and express by going more deeply into oneself for a five. Not to get superficial and chatty or informative. I'm, I mean, I'm curious from my side as a nine wanting to merge and, you know, all of that, how to deal with that because I don't want, you know, I, I've lately I've, you know, I just kind of cut her off, mom, 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 I need to build, you know, it needs to be two ways here or just, you know, and sometimes she'll actually stop, but it takes a long time for her to even hear me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, I don't know how to respectfully, kindly, lovingly, be in relationship with that. I'm having a hard time with it, but it is really interesting mm-hmm. to realize what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. That she's actually feeling afraid when she starts getting chatty. It looks real friendly, but right. you feel really shut out. Right. My daughter feels it too, and she's young. Right. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over here. Um, my husband's a five, and what I noticed with him, because I've observed this, is like in social situations, because he, it's like a nervous energy where mm-hmm. he efforts, um, and it's it's almost like he doesn't want to show that he's lost control or that he's afraid. So it's a way of him staying in power within himself, and so he gets to that sort of nervous, chatty. Yeah, it doesn't come across as nervous because I know him. I know it is. But there's definitely stress there, and yeah. it's this, and it's he's normally very deep and thoughtful, but with others that he doesn't know so well, it becomes more superficial. Yeah, it's right. It's not tapping into his feelings. Right. right. So right. that's what I observed with yep. him. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, over there, a couple more questions, and then let's do some work with this. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you're going to talk about how the wings relate to this flow. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I mean, well, I guess then my question is, is it possible to, um, if you have kind of a strong wing of one of the other numbers, to be sometimes moving to that defensive point from your wing number? Okay, let me give you the short story about my take on the wings which is that we have both wings. I think it's an error to limit oneself to the belief that you have just one wing. There might be one that shows up more strongly, but that doesn't mean it's not there. The way that I learned the wings from Claudio is that our enneotype is the midpoint between our wings. So. For me, that's a much more psychodynamically useful way of looking at the wings. We could spend a whole session looking at that. We could spend a whole weekend looking at that. So that's why I'm not getting into it. You know, we're just doing this one part of the Enneagram this weekend. But you might come up with some things that you understand about that, and that's great. Yeah. I have a question about this movement from um, 
to the defensive point because I think that sometimes if it gets bad enough, do you move to the defensive point of the defensive point? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so the question is, do you move beyond one point? Yeah, sometimes, six, yes. So sometimes if, if moving to three doesn't work, I collapse into the nine, kind of, oh, well, it doesn't matter, I don't count anyway, I'll just go away and hide. Yeah, because yeah. So does that yep. happen with the I other think that's too? possible. I think that's possible, and especially for people on the inner triangle. There's a movement around the triangle a lot. And it's not necessarily movement toward the heart point. So yeah, yeah, I think when push comes to shove and we're really, really pressed, we can move to the defensive point of our defensive point. But that's not the usual thing. It's not the usual movement. But see for yourself. See what happens for you. The type, I mean... Okay. Is that something that's like age that you find is age significant? You talk to younger younger people, college people, older people are more inclined or better at it. You know what I'm saying? At like, what? Well, at just being interested in it, taking it up. Um, the enneagram. Yeah, enneagram, and then then attached to that, when you were in at Berkeley years ago with Naranjo, was what happened with that that age group? <laughs> I mean. Why it doesn't seem like the younger people are onto it or particularly interested in it, maybe, or and then thirdly, Naranjo himself. What 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 happened to him and what enneotype is he? I don't. I just <laughs> just curious about the kind of the whole underpinning of the growth of the enneagram and where it is now and why. Mm -hmm. That's a big question. Well. I think that there, there was something generational that happened in the 60s for those of us who were born in the late 40s or 50s, and that there was a whole, um, I mean, you could look at it astrologically, there was a whole planetary configuration that people of my generation partook of, which was an openness to a more cosmic perspective on reality. And um, I don't think that there's been a generation since then that's, that where it's been quite as widespread to have that interest. So I think that's why um, there's more interest in the Enneagram amongst people more, you know, more now kind of middle age. Um, and, and that the younger people are fewer and far between different generations. Um, to answer the rest of your question, uh, Claudia was a five. Hamid Ali is also a five. I've had a long line of five teachers. <laughs> yeah. And Claudio is teaching mostly in Spain these days. He really uh, didn't like the materialism that people approached the Enneagram with and spirituality, you know, the kind of grasping to get something. Because ultimately, the spiritual journey is about losing things, letting go of who we take ourselves to be, rather than acquiring a new and improved Enneotype identity. <laughs> yeah. Okay, over here. Uh, 
Hi. Oh, back there. Okay, yes. Do the wings go through those movements? Um, do the wings go through those movements? I think I answered that. You were talking about the defensive point going to the next defense point to the wings. Did you? I don't remember hearing that. That's a. It's it's a it's a different understanding. It's a different level of things. So I'm not gonna. Um, I, I I think what you're asking me is the movement to one of your wings defensive. No, no, that's not. No, no. Do the no. wings like if I have let's say a nine wing? Do my wings go to the movement to six? Go through. Go to six. You know what I'm saying? Not about me moving to my wing, but my wing go through its own dif uh, movement. You can arrows. explore that and see if that feels true to you, for yourself. Yeah. It, it's not something I've really looked into. First of all, because the way I understand the wings, I've got two wings for my Enneotype. So, you know, and if we start tracking that through the whole Enneagram, we've got the whole thing, and we do. <laughs> okay, so I think in the interest of having some time for some discussion, let's stop now with the questions, and there'll be time later. And I'd like you to do another exploration, another inquiry this afternoon. Again, in groups of three for 15 minutes each. And I'd like you to explore, now that we've looked at the whole Enneagram, I'd like you to explore your movement when you're becoming more defensive. Where do you move to? How do you act? And please don't limit yourself to what you think you are on the Enneagram. Because if you've mistyped yourself and you've made a whole story out of that type, you might miss something much more fundamental about how you operate. Okay? So, but if you're quite sure about your Enneotype, see how this theory fits for you in terms of what goes through your mind as you attempt to defend yourself. In other words, what I'm asking you is what are you relating to about these movements that I've been talking about all day today. Is that clear? Is anyone unclear on the question? So what is your defensive movement? So for 15 minutes each, and then I'd like you to have a 10-minute discussion at the end. And I just want to add, in your discussion with each other, I don't want you to give each other advice. I should have mentioned that this morning. I don't want you to give each other advice. I don't want you to be typing each other. And I don't want you to be judging each other. So your discussion might be something about how listening to each other impacted you or doing your own monologue impacted you or how it is to sit with the others. And there could be stuff that's coming up because of that. Your stuff, not judgment and criticism about them. Okay? If you have any of that stuff, keep it to yourself. And no psychic readings, also. Uh, no, you can, either, you can stay with the same group or you can move on to another group. 
what I'd like is for lots of people to interact this weekend. So feel free to work with new people. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.